Captain, Captain, I think we're coming up on our target. Metal stations? Uh, just what is our target, Bosun? Why, the GBN, sir. Ha! Prepare to launch torpedoes on my mark. Mark! My name's Franz, sir. No, I mean shoot! What happened? Launch the torpedoes, Lieutenant. Why didn't you say so, sir? Ah! <sighs> Bye, Cobalts. I'll never get to Goblin Broadcast Network at gbncom.com. But, uh, let's get out of the way just in case. Follow the Path, the Bears Grove Podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at bearsgrove.com. Welcome to the Bears Grove Podcast. You're listening to episode 36, recorded in part on January 26, 2008. Running time for this episode is 51 minutes. My name is Sam Chupp, and I'll be your host. Today on the program, we have the second half of our interview with Wicked Dead Brewing Company game designer, John Wick. But first, some news and notes. It occurred to me that I haven't pimped a lot of other people's podcasts lately, so I thought I'd bring your attention to a few if you haven't had time to listen to a wide range of them. Discussions from the Closet by Clyde Rohr and Matt Snyder is an outgrowth from Clyde's excellent Theory from the Closet podcast, which is more of a roundtable discussion comparing traditional games and story games. I was grateful to have been part of the second in that series, What Does a Game Master Do?, and look forward to future editions of that podcast. The Stabbing Contest is like a hallucinogenic fungus of a podcast. At first, I didn't like it very much because it seemed unfocused, but after a while, it kind of grew on me. Now, I've listened to all six episodes, and I can tell you that I rather like them. Host Ogre Whiteside and his saucy wife, Mickey, who, by the way, has a cool podcast of her own on her website, geekgirlsrule.wordpress.com. They meander through topics various and sundry, but eventually make it back to role-playing. Of particular interest to the Bears Grove listeners may be that they are willing to talk boldly about sexual and adult elements in role-playing games. Plus, they say fuck a lot, which automatically puts them into a different category. The interviews with Clyde Rohr of Theory from the Closet, there's that name again, and Judd Carlman of the Sons of Cryos podcast have been my favorite so far. Also of interest is The Independent Insurgency, a podcast that seems to be pointed towards the indie gaming scene. I really enjoyed the first episode and look forward to future additions to the feed. Finally, I want to recommend some podcast novels for those of you who enjoy them. Playing for Keeps by Murr Lafferty, Murder at Avedon Hill by P.G. Holyfield, and Nocturnal by Scott Sigler are three podcasts that are lighting up my MP3 player every time they post. Also grabbing my attention and making me laugh is Space Casey, a podcast about an interstellar female con artist who befriends a sentient starship. This audio drama is well-produced and just campy enough to be engaging without being saccharine. Next up, we have the second part of my interview with John Wick. Okay, you're hiding on the edge of the precipice when the Baron Zeppelin appears above the ridge. Searchlights stab through the night looking for you. Crap! I'm going to invoke my aspect. Things are never what they seem to try to hide from them. Okay, roll. Um, I got a 16. Hold on a sec. Sorry, Sin. I have to check this table to find out what result you have. Tired of having your immersive game experience interrupted by checking charts? Try Fudge Dice. The driving force behind Fudge... Fudge dice are made specifically for the special fudge ladder mechanic. Each face has a blank, a plus sign, or a minus sign, and they come in sets of four to generate a number between negative four and positive four. You don't have to have fudge dice to play, but they create an immersion of experience that can't be beat. From Grego's Press comes Fudge Dice. Five differently colored sets of four fudge dice each for $15, plus shipping and handling. For more information, check out www.fudgerpg.com. Hey, hun, 
Roll these new fudge dice I got instead. I got a plus four. That's a superb result. No way the Baron's men are going to see you this time. Find out more about all the cool games that run using the fudge dice at www.fudgerpg.com. Last episode, John and I began by talking about his new game, Houses of the Blooded, a fantasy role-playing game that seems to be an answer to his experiences with fantasy games. Using some of the Fate Engine that makes Evil Hats, Spirit of the Century, the excellent story game that it is, John has created a compelling game based on the ancient race of people called the Ven, a culture intimately familiar with the union of opposites. The Ven's nature is perhaps best summed up when one considers that their word for romance and for revenge are the same word. Now, here's the second half of the interview. Back to Houses of the Blooded. Yeah. <laughs> Which we... <laughs> I you know I really um uh, I'm quite blown away by um and want to I wish I had like a group that was sitting by waiting waiting for this right now uh I have a just a dyad with my gaming group myself and my partner Cynthia but that's right where we're at right now but in the future I intend to run House of the Blooded because I tell you there's a lot of really interesting turns in the design, specifically, for example, you go into a role-playing game, a fantasy role-playing game, typically expecting there to be combat. In this game, combat is just amazingly uh, destructive, and yeah. it, it just it's it's brutal. Um, that's why they had to evolve dueling, and you have a whole bunch of different kinds of duels. Yeah, uh, and, and if you could so- just Maybe say, speak to that a little. Well, I've done martial arts training, not to the degree that, you know, I want to brag about it because it's more been like research to me than training, you know, martial arts research. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've been in a few fights myself. And, and from my experience, you know, fighting is somebody gets hit and then the fight's over. That's pretty much the experience. If you mm-hmm. get somebody who knows what they're doing, and knows how to hurt people, you know, on a professional level, you know, like professional soldiers. You know, they hit you, and that's it. It's it's done. If you're not dead, you you wish you were. And for me, it it's never been. It's always been something that's stuck in my craw. I can't abide hit points. I can't. I can't abide getting hit by an arrow, getting hit by a fireball getting stuck with a sword, getting, uh, uh, you know, falling on spikes, and, uh, and getting hit in the cross the face with a mace. And, you know, and I still have 15 hit points left. Mm-hmm. That makes, it, 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 you know, there's, I used to use, I still do, I use this phrase is that, you know, that snaps my disbelief suspenders. You know, <laughs> it's, it, I, I, can't, I can't do that. Um, where I was playing in a D&D game once where, um, we were facing a vampire and my character was not a combat character. So, um, in, and, but we did have a combat character and here comes the vampire and the vampire has got all this energy drain stuff. So what I did is I had holy water and now I could throw the holy water at the vampire, but my attack roll sucks. So I'm never going to hit him. His armor class is too high and I can't hit him. So I took the holy water and I poured it all over the fighter type. And the player who was playing the fighter type looked at me and said, you just wasted your attack. Ugh. And I said, no, now the vampire isn't going to touch you with his energy attack, because if he does, he's going to burn his hand. And he, the player looked at me and he said, he's only going to take a D4 from that. Ugh. And I, I looked at him and I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's strip away the wiring on this lamp right here. <laughs> and you touch it. You'll only take a D4. Go on. <laughs> touch it. And then I pulled my wallet and I said, I'll give you 10 bucks. I'll give you 10 bucks if you touch it. And he's like, no, I'm not going to touch that. And I said, why? Because it hurts. And I said, that's right. And the vampire's not going to touch you because it hurts. But it's only a D4. I'm like, oh, it, they make no sense. <laughs> yeah. Hit points make no sense. So in houses... 
uh, what I did is there's two combat systems in the game. One is dueling. And in dueling, if, if, if you get stuck with a, with a sword, if somebody gets a really good hit on you, you're going down, and that's it. And, and that's the end of it. That's, that's what dueling is. Now you can do parries and riposts and all that kind of stuff, because that's what fencing is about. There's a lot of ways to defend yourself, but when you get hit, you get hurt. And that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. And the other combat system is what's called mass murder. And um, another um, and, and invoking mass murder, uh, one of my goals for the book is that in the violence chapter, it's, it's called violence, is the name of the chapter. And in it, there is absolutely no mention of the words round, initiative, um, uh, uh, speed factor, or any of these things. All these things sound like it's not about as sexy as you know as as dry cleaning. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's all these sounds like VCR instructions, and I hated that. I wanted a wet, mean, brutal, bloody system that used real fighting words. So in mass murder, um, it's it's that it's just that the the uh, the guys over at Sons of Cryos, Sons of Cryos podcast, are playtesting the game, and they came across mass murder. And the response the next morning was, "Oh my God, we, we, we're all we we could have all died." <laughs> and I was like, "Good, and yeah, that's the way it's designed to be." <laughs> yeah. It's designed- to discourage, you know, I'm standing in a field with, you know, 500 other guys, and there's 500 other guys on the other side of the field, and we're all going to start shooting arrows at each other, and I'm going to make it? I'm, I am going to make it? Like, no, you're not going to make it. You're probably going to die. There's going to be about 20 people who survived this, and, and out of 500, it's not going to be you. Chances are it's not, not going to be you. And so, because the violence system is so deadly, it really makes players consider whether they want to engage in violence as opposed to, well, you know, it's only a D4 if I get hit by the knife. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and last, yeah. And lastly, the, I, I, there's a section in the book where, where someone asked me, um, weapons make no difference in combat. They make no difference at all. You can kill somebody with your bare hands. You can kill somebody with a sword and they, they, they really don't make any difference at all. And someone asked me, they said, why don't weapons have any kind of impact on, on, on combat, on violence? And uh, these are the same kind of people who, you know, when they play modern games, think that, you know, hand, getting shot by a forty four is somehow different than getting shot by a three fifty seven. <laughs> and that's the, uh, you know, that's the, the, the big example I bring up. I bring up, you know, would you rather be hit by a forty four or by a three fifty seven? And they say, well... You know, there's a difference in them. And I said, yeah, what's the difference between being shot by a 44 and a 357? And the answer is none. There is no difference. If you wanted to face Vin Diesel's, you know, Riddick character with, I'm going to give him, you get to fight him. And I get to give him his bare hands, a knife, or a gun. Which do you choose to fight him with? And, of course, the answer is, I don't want to fight him at all. Because he can kill me with any of them with, with equal speed and accuracy and deliberation. Exactly. And that's what we're dealing with here. You know? And so, I mean, when you are playing this game, um, you're you're creating when you're creating your character, you're not really creating a fighter, wizard, cleric, or thief. No. You're 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 fighting you're creating a, a noble, um, but how do I differentiate myself? Well, that's where, that's where the houses come into play. And um, in Ven culture, the, 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 blooded, the blooded class, the noble class, were divided into, um, you know, like, like, in, you know, like in Western Europe, we're, we're divided into, into different families, and the houses are, are the different families. Mm-hmm. And the houses have their own character, and instead of, trying to take your character concept and, and hammer it into a character class. Because after all, what character class really is Conan? Mm-hmm. He's not a barbarian, really. I mean, he if you read the books, he's not a barbarian. He's more of a thief. But then again, he's also a sailor. And he's also, you know, he's all these things. He's a three-dimensional character. And a three-dimensional character doesn't fit into a one-dimensional character class. 
you know, Crawford and the Grey Mouser, all, all the great character characters from fantasy literature. Elric, you know. The, Elric, the yeah. Pet. Forget it. You know, I mean, he's not yeah. anything. He's, he's a noble. Yeah. That's what he is. He's an educated noble. So instead of fitting people into character classes, um, instead what I do is I fit them with philosophies. And the different houses represent different, each one represents a different virtue that the Venn regarded as important. Um, uh, self-determination. The, the, the word that translates best as self-determination in, ben, in the Venn language is strength. And it's not just physical strength. It's, it's I want this, and nothing is going to stop me from taking it. And so that translates into a game as all physical action. You know, dexterity, strength, and constitution are strength. Because the faster you, if you, if you are fast, it is because you exercise and practice. If you are tough, it is because you, you know, you practice. You, you exercise and practice. If you can lift heavy things, it's because you exercise and practice. Strength, exerting, and constitution are the same thing. They're physical ability. You know, so, you know, there's that. And so, and that, then, but then there's, yeah. And how is that represented in the game? It's one of the six virtues. And mm-hmm. the blood of the bear are the ones who, who revere strength. You know, they, they represent that in a, in a cultural way, in a philosophical way. And then another virtue that the then admire is cunning, the ability to see the plan within the plan within the plan. It's the ability to, to perceive that which others would have hidden. And for that, the, the house of the elk is, is cunning. They're the, they're the master manipulators, the ones who can, who can see deception. Who can, who can and create deception themselves? They're the Machiavellians. They're they're you know they're all about that. And then another virtue is beauty, is the ability to you know among other things remind us that we are not alone. And the Zen really like that a lot. And I really like that definition of art. I think Ellen Moore used that once. He said that art is is communicating to someone that you've never met that he is not alone. That I'm here. That I'm here with you. Wow. And I really liked that, and it really fit, you know, the then definition of beauty. And um, so, beauty is a virtue, and it's the ability to, to create. It's the ability to, to show the world what it is. Cunning is the ability to hide, and beauty is the ability to show. So, you know, strength, cunning, beauty. And then, of course, there's, you know, wisdom, which is the, the house of the serpent, and, uh, and, uh, and courage, which is the house of the falcon. It goes on like that. Yeah, I'm starting to see more of the union of opposites there, beauty and cunning, and uh, yep. uh, that, that, there you go. There's the Vin, right back yep, again. That, that's it. Now, in the game, the way the game works is that one of the themes of the game is tragedy. And again, most role-playing games, when you start playing, you start with a little wimpy character. And eventually the character gets better and better and better and better and better. And there's no real top to this. As long as you can keep acquiring experience points, your character gets better. And better and better and better and better. And then, you know, eventually there's nothing left to buy. Right? You, you, you hit the top level or you, you know, whatever. Yes. There's, there's, you can really, there's no end. You just, it's, it's the Spider-Man problem. You know, he just keeps going. You know, there's there's no arc, really. There's little arcs, but there's no big arc. So in houses, what I wanted to do is I wanted to to communicate the idea of then tragedy. You know, you read Macbeth. You know, you read uh, you read Othello. You read all the Shakespearean tragedies. That's really what we're talking about because that's that's what what then drama is about. So in the game, there are six attributes called virtues: strength, cunning, wisdom. Prowess, which is the ability to use weapons, um, which the Ven, <laughs> the Ven attitude towards weapons is that everything in the world is either a tool or a weapon. And uh, you have to decide what you are right now. And I always liked that. Yeah. Um, so strength, cunning, you know, wisdom, courage, beauty, and prowess. Those are the six virtues. And you have them as stats in the game. And you get a bonus stat because you get a bonus to your stat because you're from a particular house. So if you're from the house of the fox, your beauty goes up by one because you're from the house of the fox. However, one of these virtues is a weakness, which means it's at zero. And you will never, ever, ever, ever in the history of the, the, in the game 
you will always have a weakness. And so in, in, you know, in, in more common terms, it's like having a negative 10 you know, strength right. for your entire character's career. You know, and, and there it is. You'll never, ever, ever have, have that virtue because every character has a weakness. It's the slave sitting in the uh, standing in the chariot with Caesar saying, "Thou art mortal, thou art mortal." Thou art mortal. Yes, yes. That's, it, uh, I love that. It is. Uh, yeah. yeah, this is so. This is the thing that keeps us from becoming uh, complacent in the game, and yeah, uh, but and drives the once more drives that dramatic um, movement. But the other element of the game that, that really brings that home is that, you're, is that one of the stats in your character sheet is your character's age. And part of the mechanic is that every season your character age, or every year your character ages. And eventually your character's going to grow old. And, and all the things that, if, if you don't die before that, <laughs> mm-hmm. and all the things that you gathered, you know, there they are, and you're old. So it's time to pass them on to somebody else, and uh, this, and so, that's part of the mechanic of the game. Yeah, this goes back to the Vin Pillow books because, um, in the sense that Vin Pillow books didn't go go into every aspect of every year of everyone's life, um, no. and I think that in, in likewise a, a game session is not going to be every minute of every day of the of the whole year. But more, this is what was important that happened that year. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's again, it's something that that I find is is trivial and and just mind-bogglingly dumbing to me is the minutia of a lot of game systems that that they demand. How many copper pieces do you have? You know how you know, and 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 the the accounting that goes on. Accounting, accounting, accounting. I'm like, why, why is this fun? I mean, I sure it's got to be fun for somebody. Otherwise, you know, they wouldn't be doing it, right? It's got to be fun for somebody. But it's not fun for me, and it's my game, so I get to, you know, <laughs> yeah. so I get to out of mine. If you want, um, you know, this is this is John's. Uh, 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 Bailiwick and his playground, so you can you have to play on John's rules. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, the the thing really for me, um, also with accounting and in, uh, in any kind of game, the accounting always breaks down. I once gave um, some of my players a bag of potions uh, of all kinds of different sort of potions, just thousands of different sort of potions. It was a big bag. And it was curious how later on in the course of the story, people would just start pulling out potions randomly or like saying, well, I've got a flying potion. Well, where'd you get that? Oh, I have a bag of potions. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, curious how every, you know, because none of us had paid attention in accounting, any potion could be in that bag. And after a while, we just I just abandoned the whole concept of trying to even remotely pay attention to that. And I said, you know, fine, whatever potion you need is going to be in the back. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. <laughs> one of the one of the things I did once to to prove a point, because I'm a I'm a dick this way, um, is that we were playing. I was playing D and D with a group of friends, and we got together to play the game. It's first, we're all playing, you know, first level, which I hate. Um, and uh, it's amazing to me that D20 Modern says that 10th level is a competent adult. Mm. It comes out right out in the book and says it. 10th level is a competent adult. So apparently, the purpose of playing D&D up to 10th level is to play an incompetent adult. Because, you know, I don't get to be that in real life. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, this is my escapism. So... But we played the first little adventure, and at the end of the adventure, I had 5,000 gold pieces. I said, excellent. I'm going back to the city. I'm buying that tavern from the guy who owns it, and I'm retiring. And they went, what, what do you mean? I said, I'm buying the tavern. It says here in the Game Masters, in the DMG, that you know it costs this much for this and this much for this. I'm using this money. I'm buying this, and I'm retiring a life of luxury with a beautiful wife. I'm going to buy myself the best wife I can. 
and I'm retiring. You guys can go out and risk your lives and have fun and get hit by, you know, mind players and stuff like that. No, thank you. I'm done. And, 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 and amazingly to me, what was amazing to me is that no one had ever considered this before. <laughs> That's this alternative. I'm done. At first level, I got 5,000 gold. A peasant sees, you know, what is it, one gold a year? Maybe if that. If that. You know, and it says so in the DMG. A peasant sees one gold a year or whatever it is. I have 5,000, you know? My annual, you know, the average annual salary of the United States citizen is something around something between, you know, thirty and 60,000 of the average United States citizen. Mm-hmm. Multiply that by 5,000 and give that you know, to some guy working, you know, working the night shift as a, as a security guard. Go ahead, give, give him, you know, $60,000 times 5000 and ask him if he's going to continue doing his job. No. <laughs> Especially, give it to one of the soldiers. Give it to one of our United States soldiers who, you know, goes out and risks his lives for our own protection and give him that much money and, you know, and say, by the way, would you like to continue putting your life at risk? Um, you know, granted, hmm. you know, granted, he's doing it for a noble cause. I mean, and there is mm-hmm. no more noble cause. But you know, how about a mercenary? Let's switch that. How about one of those Blackwater mercenaries? <laughs> let's give him. Let's give him a whole bunch of money and see if he continues doing, putting himself in danger, putting himself in, in the line of fire. The answer is no. Of course not. No sane human being would do that. So you know, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this- yeah, that does spark some interesting ideas in my head about lottery winners and what happens to them. But um, that I've heard. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, uh, in Houses of the Blooded, what uh, was interesting to me is that you have um, a se- that you also bind these seasons into a game mechanic to um, uh, accomplish uh, in-game goals. Could you yes. speak about that seasonal system? Sure. In the uh, in the game, um, well, again, the, it seemed to me that that a lot of role playing games could take place in a kind of a kind of bubble where they happen eternally in spring. It's always spring. You're always 25 years old. Um, you never get married. You you never you know nothing ever happens to you except. We go out and we have adventure and we come back. We go out and have adventure and come back. I'm eternally 25 and this is always happening. And you start acquiring all this gold and stuff and you really never really do anything with it. You buy more magic items. That's what always, you know, that's my experience is that, mm-hmm. you know, you always buy more magic items and buy more equipment, and buy more stuff. And I wanted a mechanic to, to, to demonstrate that time passes. And to do that, to show how you can do long-term goals. Things like, I want to build a castle. Well, how do you do that? How, how, you know, I want to, I want to train an army. I want to, you know, I want to hire people to help me out running my lands. How do, how do all of this work? And the Venn counted time and seasons. They, they really didn't, again, minutia wasn't really part of their culture. So they measured everything in seasons. And so over the course of the game, you get what are called season actions. And season actions are things like, I want to build a castle. And building a castle takes a number of seasons to do. You need a number of resources to do it. You apply the resources, and, and then over a period of time, you have a castle. But it's also things like, I want to learn a new maneuver. I want to learn a new, you know, I want to learn how to do this, this fencing maneuver. It takes time to do that, so it takes a season to do that. I want to learn a new magical ritual, a new sorcerer's ritual. It takes time to do that. I want to have kids. Well, it takes time to do that. So, well, first you got to get married. And the other thing that, that a lot of players really liked about the, the game was that their characters start off married. Mm-hmm. Because there you go. You're, you're in the medieval culture, you know, essentially, the, the, equivalent, the equivalent of the medieval culture with barons and dukes and ancestral lands and all that. And you're over the age of 13, which means you're married. Um which means that you must have step-parents, or you must have parents-in-law, right? You must have a father-in-law, a mother-in-law, which also means that your wife has a mother-in-law and a father-in-law, which means your family is important, which means your family are part of the game. 
So again, you know, the, the counterpart to D&D, your family is a mechanic in the game that you can, you know, utilize. Because one of the things you do in the season actions is that you get a certain number of season actions based on your cunning, your ability to plan ahead and things. And your spouse also gets season actions to help you on the land. So there's a benefit in the game to being married in that you can build you can build your land faster because not only are you taking care of things, managing things and all that, but your spouse is too. You can say, so, honey, while I'm gone, can you figure out the sorceress uh, object yeah. that we got? Um, <laughs> I would really appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. uh, of course, dear. So, and could you pick up some blood, you know, uh, a couple of blood symbols on the way back from wherever you're coming from? Or whatever. Yeah, that exactly. makes sense. It, it, it's, it's part of the game. And when we first started playing the game, um, when I first started playtesting, a couple of the players were like, I don't want to be married. I went, okay. So we went along, and the, the, the characters had wives, and the wives were doing things. And, and occasionally the wives would come back from talking to the other wives and say, Lord, you know, Lord Xanos' wife is very unhappy. As a matter of fact, she's looking for a lover. And, you know, and we talked about that. And the players suddenly had an up on, the, on Lord Xanos because they had wives. And then the, 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 the Bachelor players were looking at the going, going, hmm. And then the season actions came. And the players essentially had double their season actions because they had a, a, a wife or a husband doing things with them. And their, land, their lands were growing, and the other players were like, maybe I'm going to spend the next adventure looking for a wife. <laughs> and so, you know, there it, there it is. It's, it's, I'm, I don't like railroading, and I don't like hammering people over the head with, you know, there, there are a few there there are a few role playing games that try to hammer you know ethics over people's heads. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I and and uh, and I don't like that. I, I like I like examining things. I like looking at them. But more importantly, I don't like telling you how to play. Right. I don't like telling you how to play the game. But I am going to reward certain behaviors. Yeah. But I like rewarding behaviors with mechanics. So mm-hmm. if you act this certain way, I'll reward you. Good for you. And if you don't act a certain way, you don't get that reward. So instead of punishing people for not acting certain ways, I reward them for acting other ways. It's rewarding behavior. Yeah. yeah, awesome. Um, uh, especially since, you know, I can see where uh, people who are bachelors, you know, there's not really much in that culture for them except, well, why haven't you gotten married yet? Um, so yeah, people especially are be with like, the amount of yeah, especially with the the amount of uh, you know fooling around that's going on, you know, it's it's like because you know in Ben culture there's marriage and there's you know romance and they're not the same thing. As a matter of fact, the Ben have a have a tendency to capitalize words that they feel are important. They have importance capitalization as part of their as part of their usage as part of their grammar. <laughs> And marriage is not capitalized, and romance is. Mm. So that should tell you something about But a Venn romance, really, uh, it's not the same as what we might think of as someone cheating on his wife here in this culture, uh, necessarily. There's a lot of flirtation, challenges, that sort yeah. of thing, as well, I read. Yeah, it's the, it's the, the, the classic you know, Arthurian idea of, or the Middle Ages idea of, of romance, what the Arthurian romances originally written about, which is what is love. And this comes up a couple times in, in L5R especially. Um, but it really, the Venn have a very different attitude about marriage and romance. There's no love in marriage. It's not supposed to be love. It's supposed to be a, a, a contract. It's a land contract. And that's what it is. That's the purpose of it. And to make babies. That's really the purpose of it. However, the men have, you know, one of the things that, that our own culture had was, is that my baby? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's the, the, the male question. But the reason that that was so prominent in our culture is because of the laws of, of um, uh, passing on of, of the laws of inheritance. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, the Venn don't have those laws of inheritance. 
It's I choose who my heir is. And it could be, you know, this guy who isn't related to me at all. Screw you, son. You get nothing. I don't like you. I'm going to give it to, you know, this guy over here that you've never met, who's an old friend of mine, and, and he's going to get it. His, his son's going to get it because I like his son more than you. And that's legal. That's okay in Venn law, in, under the Venn law. <laughs> wow. So, it, this is not going to end happy. <laughs> no, it can only end in tears and blood. So, but that's kind of the point of the game. But the, uh, yep. So because that element of their culture is the idea of ancestral inheritance. Um, the, the whole idea of marriage is really comes down to making children and, and you know, land contracts. That's what it really comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that child mine? It really doesn't matter. Right. Because if even, it... if, even if he was mine and I don't like him, I'm giving the land to somebody else. Right. And, um, you know, so then romance is, and romance is also a mechanic in the game because I wanted to reward people for jumping into romances. And, um, you know, the, so the, the, there's a mechanical reward for having a romance. And it gives you bonus dice and it gives you, you know, special cool powers that, you know, you can only use when you're, when you're in a romance. So players are always looking for a romance. But more importantly, romances ascend and then they decline. And as soon as a romance starts declining, you're looking for a new romance. Wow. Because you want to start the new one that will start ascending again. And, of course, that brings on, you know, the heartbroken thing. Because there's a mechanic for being heartbroken, which means you get to hurt people really good. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Somebody's going to pay for my pain. So, yeah, so there's there's mechanics for romance. And it wasn't until, again, there's groups who are like, ah, you know, romance is stupid. And, And there's a... There's a section, one of the, one of the chapter headers in the romance chapter, because there's a whole chapter about it, is, you know, the quote from The Princess Bride. Is this a kissing book? You know, <laughs> at, there it is. It's, you know, and, and I, every time that I say it to gamers, I say this is a game, it's got romance in it. And I picture little, you know, Savage, little Fred Savage saying, is this a kissing book? And the grandfather saying, you know, there might come a day when you don't mind so much. And... You know, that's how I really look at that. So this is a lot of gamers who react to romance in that way. And it's not until they see the actual mechanic in play and they go, damn, I've got to go get me a girl. Or I've got to go get me a guy. Because you know, I get a benefit. I get a mechanical benefit. So, you know, there it is. So, yeah, this is interesting because also... Um it's I, I have never seen any I don't have seen any numbers about this, but I believe, based on anecdotal evidence at least, that gaming is growing older and more mature. Um, role playing games in general are more are older and more mature because the kids getting involved with the game industry, even though, you know, I have a podcast like called Dragonkin where I'm trying to get people uh to get their kids involved in role playing. Um but I've noticed that a lot of people are getting into computer games um, at a very young age, but they just aren't translating over into role-playing as much. But uh, So a game like Houses of the Blooded kind of is aimed at a slightly more mature audience, or is that... That's my perception. Is that true? Or I, I think that it's, it's aimed at two audiences. It's aimed at an audience that has never played D&D mm-hmm. and has never played a role-playing game before. Because the whole idea of, of, like we were talking about before, where you get to say whether your character succeeds or fails, I found that regular gamers, they bump into this idea. They're like, wait a minute, what, what, huh? And people who have never played a role-playing game before, because they've gone to conventions and run the game for people who have never played a role-playing game before, but they played card games or they played video games, mm-hmm. and they have no problem with it. They're like, cool, okay. Because that, that's the, and this is their first role-playing game, so this is what defines role-playing for them, right? Hmm. And at the same time, it's, it is for, I don't, I don't, you know, it, saying that it's for a more, more mature gamer indicates or kind of insinuates that, you know, people who are playing other games are less mature. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Um, 
I think that, you know, my, my buddy Matt, my, my buddy Matt Colville, he plays D&D because it's the game that he likes and it's the game that he wants to play. Mm-hmm. Right? And we had a discussion once. We, uh, Matt and I, we, we, Matt and I have, have arguments that, that, that always end up with, yeah, we still respect each other, right? So it's because uh, we do. And, and uh, Matt said something to me once. We were talking about D&D, and I said something very disparagingly about it. And, and Matt looked at me and he said, John, you have to ask yourself this question right now. Is it more important for you to be right or to be my friend? Wow. And, yeah, and, and that really made me, and that was one of the things that actually led me to thinking about Housing the Blood. It was Matt saying that. Because, you know, we have discussions about what role-playing is and what role-playing games are and aren't or could be and, and all these different things. Very, very, we argue for hours. And instead of telling Matt, you know, things about, you know, what I think role-playing games are like or could be or whatever, I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it. This is, this is the game that, that if I wanted to be introduced to role-playing games, this is the game that I would want to play. This is the first game that would show me how you can play a role-playing game. Hmm. And so the, there's two chapters at the end of the book, the player chapter and the game master chapter, that take up a third of the book. And there are no rules in, in the chapters. There's, there's no rules at all. But it's all of the player and game master advice that I've gotten from not only playing this game and running this game, but, you know, I, ever since Call of Cthulhu, you know, everything that I've learned about how to play in ways that help you get the most fun out of your game. So they're big, meaty chapters. And, and, uh, and you know, it, there's, a, there's a sense, there's, there's a lot of, of things, there's a lot of games in the, in the indie movement that essentially are two pages a game and then, you know, 15 pages or, you know, 50 pages of, and this is what role-playing games should be. You know? <laughs> There's a lot of that. The advertisement and, and uh, yes. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I don't like that. From my own point of view, I think that that's really preaching. Mm. So I, tried to, I, I really avoided that with, with houses, and what I wanted to do instead was say, I found that this didn't work for me, or I found this worked for me really well. And here's something that somebody else did with the game that I saw and went, wow, I would have never thought of doing that in the game. And here's this other thing that I actually don't like, but here's a way to play the game that doesn't appeal to me that other people played with the game and they really enjoyed it. So here it is in the book in case you might, you might, you know, get something out of it too. And that's what the chapter's like. It's things that I disagree with, you know, but still, other players really like them, and so they belong in the book to, to help you, you know, play the game. So really, this is your square one game. I mean, this is the game that you could, you'd point, you'd want people to point to and say, okay, you want to get started playing role-playing games you've never played before, play this game. <laughs> well, maybe Cat is <laughs> more... Cat, Cat is awesome that, that way. <laughs> I, I actually ran... I actually ran Cat at Dragon Con this year, and yeah. I really enjoyed it um, a great deal. And uh, I had people filtering in and out of the gaming room, picking up character sheets, and started playing um, out of the blue. But I started with three people and ended up with eight. Um, so oh, wow. <laughs> it's uh, wow! It is a it was a lot of fun. Is, yeah, I think Cat is uh, is close to that. I am doing a second edition of Cat for two thousand eight. Awesome. Um, it's going to have more stuff. It's going to. I'm actually going to simplify the system. Okay. Because I think that it's it's um, it really should. I, I think that Cat is the perfect game to teach your eight year old son how to play role playing games. Cool. I think it's perfect. It's you you it's you you know your dad and your house cat. And yeah. and you get to play the house cat and the family are NPCs. So you're playing you know Mr. Whiskers. Right. And as you're playing Mr. Whiskers, you're running around the house. Hmm. And, and so you are an NPC in the game. And, you know, that, when, I said that, when I say that to a lot of grown-ups, that just blows their minds. They're like, there is no way that a kid is going to get this. 
And I've ran cat for kids that way. And they get it. Oh, yeah. They, they, yeah, they really get it. And, uh, well, and it would little, be really amazing. Yeah. My little girl believed that she was a cat um, <laughs> for a good portion of, of her uh, childhood. So I, I totally, you know, I get, I get exactly that. Um, I was also, I wanted to ask you, when will we be seeing Houses of the Blood? I mean, I know it's going to be done when it's done, right? Yeah, but... well, the deadline for me is for editing is this weekend. Um, who's a famous artist who they asked him, you know, when do you know you're done? And he said, when they take it from me, <laughs> you know, that's, that's when it's done. I'm, I'm doing the edits now and, and, uh, tomorrow is my last day for edits. And then it goes off to Daniel Solis to be laid out because Daniel is, is he is the Scotty, he is, he is the Montgomery Scott of the game industry. Wow. Uh, Daniel Solis, he, he really is. I can't think of a higher compliment to, to, to give him. You know, that my, my, my dad would get that. My dad's a, a real hardcore Trekkie. But, you know, he's the, he's the damn miracle worker. So I'm going to give it to Daniel, and he's going to lay it out. And then the book is going to be ready for Origins. It's going to be awesome. at the Origin or the Origin show, and there's going to be a big surprise, which I can't talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah. But well, I may be talking intriguing. about. I, I may be talking about sometime in April that people will think is an April Fool's joke, and then April first will come around and go, "No, really, here it is." <laughs> now, if I don't, if I recall correctly, Mister Wick, you have been involved with April Fool's jokes in the past. I have, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Um, well, thank you so much for talking with me. Um, I think, is there anything else that you'd like to, to talk about? Uh, anything else you've got going on that you want to, to say to my listeners? Um, I think that the reason that the industry is, is changing the way it is, is because Watsi did a study and they asked, they asked people who were playing World of Warcraft who used to play D&D, but are now playing World of Warcraft, why are you no longer playing D&D? And they said, because I get the same experience from playing World of Warcraft that I do from playing D&D. And when you look at the numbers of people who are playing World of Warcraft and the numbers of people who are no longer playing role-playing games, that is a sobering number to me. Because I thought for the longest time, way back when, before D&D 3rd Edition came out, I was under the false impression, and I was wrong, that role-playing games were changing, and that gamers were tired of games that were nothing but big books of rules. And I said it loud and proud. I said that that age is over, it's done, it's gone, and gamers want more. And I was wrong. I was dead wrong. D&D 3rd Edition proved that and put, put me in my place and said, no, John, you are a niche market. You're part of a niche market of a niche market. And now that World of Warcraft has come along and given players the exact, what they see as the exact same experience, except with graphics and with a computer that can roll the dice and do the numbers for them, Mm -hmm. that all that's going to be left of this niche market is the niche of the niche market for whom World of Warcraft does not satisfy. And I'm part of that. I played World of Warcraft for three hours. For the first time uh, a couple weeks ago, on, on Thanksgiving, I played World of Warcraft for the first time. And when in a, in a room full of people who play World of Warcraft, and when I was done, they said, how did you like it? And I said, I thought it was a very sophisticated board game. Because <laughs> to me, that's... It, and I like board games. I do. But it's not a role-playing game. And uh, if we're not careful, our role-playing game industry is going to end up what happened to the to the guys that the role-playing industry came in and replaced. Yes. And we're going to be that crotchety old guy at the little con in the corner of the room with all of his copies of those games from the 60s and 70s that nobody plays anymore. And we're going to be that guy. You don't understand what I'm talking about here. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, I talk about... Role-playing games ruined the industry. That's that's that guy. That's who we're going to be. Mm. And, well, and there are people who say card games ruined the role-playing game industry, and, you know, that's what... Yeah, but they're uh, wrong. We'll go for they're it. They're not the rules. 
God bless wizards and God bless white wolf. They brought girls. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, um, and you know, I, I guess for me, I'm going to keep doing this because I'm going to keep ro- role playing and writing role playing games and playing them because I love it. And, uh, I've raised children who love it. So I've done my part but to a certain extent. <laughs> but I, I'm still trying to get everybody else to raise their children who love it, but uh, to, to love it. But we'll see. Um, but but I really, you're doing the, we got to make new gamers, and you're doing it the hard way. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Believe me, it's all it's the it's the very hard way. Um, okay. Well, I really appreciate you uh, speaking with me, and we will talk again. I hope uh, perhaps after uh, House of the Blood is released, and we can celebrate uh, how how wonderful it's gone i i certainly hope so i look forward to it and uh you know if you ever want to come back just to have a a roundtable discussion with some other people you'd be welcome to i'd I'd be happy to do that it'd be a lot of fun i know that you actually write and get and get things done as opposed to podcasters who podcast and and try to do everything else at the same time um, like myself, but uh, <laughs> if you ever got a podcast, man, I think you'd do really well. Just it's, so if you ever want to jump into that, let me know. We'll we'll get you set up. It's been tempting. <laughs> Indeed, I get to talk at people and they listen. Great, yeah, they listen for hours. No doubt. Well, okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. So that's it. You've come to the end of another Bears Grove podcast. This podcast is offered to you under a Creative Commons license, attribution. No derivatives, no commercial use. The music from today's episode is from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. For more information about the Bears Grove and for ways to contact us, please check out bearsgrove.com. If you like the Bears Grove and would like to donate, please click on the donate link on the site. Thank you for listening to the Bears Grove podcast, and as always, I hope that you have sweet dreams when you get them. The new and improved Geek Label Radio. We've rebuilt it. Better. Stronger. Faster. Every week, join the Kingfish. He likes to dip into the uh, icky. Super producer Billy Flynn. Let me see if I can crack some code. And the vicar. I give you the vicar. (laughs) The campaign (laughs) archard. As they rub down in Vaseline. Holy crap. No. Evil, evil, evil. Join hands. So good, I actually now have to go home and clean my pants. And share their feelings. I was taking them on four at a time. I don't remember any details. In a totally non-threatening head kind of way. Hear from industry veterans. This is Tracy Hickman. Hi, this is Jim Lee. Hi, this is George Takei. And your hosts, as they opine pointlessly. Let's talk about farting in public. Oh, let's. Yes. About comics, gaming, movies, and geekly news. Orville Redenbacher has risen from the grave. I knew it. You owe me six bucks. <laughs> Geek Label Radio. I like it. It's good. It's a total waste of time. But what the hell? So's EverQuest. Oh, that just happened. Another <laughs> fine product from geeklabel.com. Do a little dance. Make a little love. Get down tonight. That's all we're saying. Yeah. Okay.